Welcome back to another episode of Harley, and this one, this Harley Quinn is a very special one. This one is the finale of season one. Now, a quick disclaimer before we begin. If you are not of an age to listen to or to watch Harley Quinn, this is the time to go ahead and get off of this podcast. We have many other selections that are available to you that are well within the non-mature category. There's I Am The Night, The Spinner Rack, we have DC Comics Newscast. Take a look at anything that we have in our other offerings. But for this one, this is a mature audience only. That said, I am joined by my colleagues, Brad Felicki. Hello, everyone. Kelly Gaines. Hello, hello. And Seth Singleton. Greetings and salutations. And we are going to discuss the finale. Now, the finale left us, you know, Devil's Snare left us with quite a a curveball thrown right at the end of the episode. And we got to see Ivy harpooned through the heart. And seemingly die before our eyes. Guys, I know that we we discussed this one on the last one, but are there any thoughts on what we expected to see when we came into this finale? Brad, how about you? I uh, I didn't expect her to uh, to stay dead. I she was just too good of a character, uh, and I I think anybody who watched that show um, loved her and loves her and. That was by design. I think the the showrunners created it in that way, so there was no way they were just going to get rid of of Ivy. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, there there was just no way she could stay down. I mean, at, at this point in the show, we haven't even seen the relationship between Hailey and Ivy Ivy really develop. Um, and yeah, it just it, it was a shocking way to lead into the finale to see her harpoons like that. But if anything, I mean, welcome back to Tropeville, but death is a great way to see a hero or anti-hero in this case, go charging at revenge. Um, And on top of that, I mean, she's going to come back, but we don't know just how yet. So how tropey those waters are going to get is still up in the air. But, um, yeah, I think this this gives us a good platform to understand how important Ivy is to Harley. And not only that, but how important, important, hmm, all right, uh, I'm going to be a Looney Tune today, but anyway. <laughs> Getting how important it is? Suddenly Kelly just became Ivy, like, well, Harley, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Where did she go? <laughs> but, it, I mean, she's very important to the rest of the cast, and I, I love that we're kind of hitting the ground running in this episode. And I also love that she, I love Frank's reaction because it's both heartbreaking and, I mean, Frank. So I, I don't think she'll stay down, but I'm really excited to see where it goes. Seth, what about you? You know, the biggest point when talking about Tropeville 
is the trope that we're talking about, never staying dead, and how long it lasts. And that was probably the biggest thing that I had the first time I was watching this through, was that sort of wondering. I uh, I wondered, when are they going to bring her back? Are they going to make us suffer through the finale? Have Harley, you know, get some kind of vengeance, but also feel like it's not complete because no Ivy and leave that as the cliffhanger going into next season? Or do we get the resolution in this episode? So that was kind of, you know, that that feeling I had the first time through. And then it's hard to stay too focused on that because you're so moved by the amazing funeral scene. Are are we shifting into that yet, uh, Kendra? Or did you want to want me to pump the brakes on that so we can move in that, you know, on the next cycle through as a group? No, I mean, we're more than fine. We can we can go ahead and we can discuss start discussing that with you. Um, I mean, we that's really where the beginning of, of the finale, uh, the, the, where the final joke starts is right. with the recap <laughs> and then right into the funeral. So absolutely. Go ahead, Seth. Lead us off. <laughs> well, I, I love that Kelly brought up what Frank says, you know, who watered my roots, you know, and I don't trust these assholes, which was just so fucking perfect. <laughs> like, there was such a beautiful thing about him saying, like, yeah, she's dead. So I'm going to be honest as fuck. Who wants to what? You know, um, Clayface with the absolutely beautiful Star Trek. She was the most human um you know which was just like a pitch perfect delivery for anybody who remembers that tragic moment when we lost spock only to get him back in the next movie uh (laughs) and how that speech has been uh used by family guy and numerous other shows uh to great effect um (laughs) and i also um i also just sort of love the fact that we point out something that kelly you brought up so well she was kind of the glue earlier. Everybody was like, oh, we'll all get together if we're going to rescue Ivy. But Harley, you know, hit the bricks, like keep walking. No, nobody really can trust you. You bailed on us before. You know, you screwed us over when you got into the Legion. And now that she's gone, there was also that feeling of like, damn, this is sad. There's no way these guys are staying together. <laughs> The memory of Ivy is not enough. Like, it's just not. So I love some of those beautiful moments. uh, And I love the way that it it sort of gave us that feeling of like, this team ain't the same without Ivy. And without Ivy, I don't think there's much of a team. How about you, Kendra? I think that when it came to the funeral scene, not only, like you said, did everybody have this really touching moment, but the the most poignant one for me was Harley, where she's like, she was a doctor, damn it. And, you know, gets upset when it just says, here lies Pamela Isley. And that one for me, for all the time that we've seen in the mediums where Harley has been, you know, it's just been the sidekick or the red shirt. And she's always fought to be like, you know, I have a doctorate. Like, I am, I am smart. Obviously, I've done this. And to see her kind of come that, come back around to that with Ivy was great. I mean... This scene was heartbreaking because of the fact that, you know, yes, on one hand, we knew she wasn't really dead, or at least we hoped. We hoped that they weren't going to go for that, even though we were definitely, as Kelly said, entering Tropeville. So it was possible. But, I mean, it was still a hard hit because it wasn't something that you absolutely expected. It came in and it hit hard. Brad, what about you? Yeah, I, I, you know, we, we always come back to how brilliant the writing is on this show 
And I think the funeral scene was a perfect example of that because like you were saying, it, you know, each one was touching, but it also had humor in it and it's humor that didn't seem forced or uh, not respectful. Uh, it, it, it all just really worked on that really good balance. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was the thing that struck me most about, about the scene. And I'm glad uh, that she did finally get the recognition as being a doctor uh, on, on the tombstone. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I think the, the she's a doctor, goddammit, was probably my one of my favorite lines just in this episode, because it's, Kendra, like you were saying, it's one of those things that gets pushed aside about Harley. So to see her react to defend Ivy, you know, even in death on the fact that, no, I mean, she was a doctor. We're not sh- just talking supervillain or eco-terrorist, as Ivy prefers. She was a an intelligent, really advanced person. She knew a lot about what, um, I mean, she knew a lot about what she was fighting for. She not only had that kind of hitting the pavement drive to maim and or murder to save the plants, but she had a degree. She had a background in everything. And it is definitely something I think we tend to forget. Um, I don't know if it's just with female supervillains or just as a whole, but the doctor part tends to, you know, it's it's not Dr. Harley Quinn or Dr. Poison Ivy. It's it's just Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. So I think there's a little bit of a a, a kind of deeper point in that. Um, and also, if we're talking about tropes, the the trope of a love interest being killed off to further the the hero's journey or the main character's journey, we see that here, but it's kind of turned on its head where we already know that Ivy's going to come back just uh, on a gut feeling. Um, but it's it's handled very differently than I think the the kind of initial trope that it harkens back to talks about it it hits differently because we realize that we can't do this without ivy that it's not going to be the same without ivy and that she has to come back because it's dumb for her to be dead in the first place um so as as funny as this scene is in certain ways there's not only the sad kind of undercut of this is a funeral and ivy's dead but there's also sort of a double double side to it where it's almost a a kind of more serious undertaking of what it is that death means in comics and how we handle it. Seth, what'd you think? Well, just as a final thought on it, I mean, yes, I love the fact that Harley stands up for Ivy's degree and that, you know, Psycho quickly etches it on the tombstone. But I also loved the way that each character seemed to display um, something that they could offer as a tribute um whether it's Sai, who <laughs> in that moment has that comedic uh, breakup of the tension with a backhoe uh, attached to his chair which i was not aware was included among his implements i shouldn't be surprised but a backhoe seriously like i had to look at it and go what the fuck that's a what do they call that again that's a fucking backhoe Okay, so he <laughs> digs it out, right? And then they uh, they have Psycho lower the body in. So that's a display of his, you know, power and skill. Um, and then they lay the dirt back over. I kind of felt like, and that and that really sort of sweet thing, 
she wasn't awful, which was pretty much like the highest compliment you're going to get from Psycho. And and how each character then contributes, whether it's Clayface giving his monologue, uh, King Shark making some fun references about indiscriminate destruction of property, um, or Frank's heartfelt, you know, statement about what about me? And the fact that, you know, also it, it, it's been described, plants are, are this vibrant community. If you start harming plants in one area, trees, whatever, there's this chemical signal that they share with each other, like danger's coming. You know, they, they, they know this. And, you know, that's probably going a little too deep for the show. But it, it does touch on the stuff that these writers are drawing from all these great places. They're using them to lovely comedic effect. And then... Just because with every great comedy, you need a little tragedy. They they have no problem dropping that in with all the weight of a cement block. And it's, it's powerful. It's effective. And it it's not like they take this funeral and go, let's just go for gags. There's a lot of love and heart here. And uh, the ways it's displayed by each character, from Harley's defense to, to Psycho's use to Clayface, you know, each one has something that they want to give to say ivy this is what you mean to me so i love those moments love the fact that we start with this tragedy because then there's also this part of me that's like okay okay can we get to the fuckery can we get to the fuckery because once we're done wiping the tears usually it's let's get drunk let's go do something stupid let's risk our lives let's you know jump out of plane you know what i mean like someone dies and you have this sense of like i have to do something with my life i have to you know, show some value or have a purpose or things like that. So it's it's like we're kicking this episode with that, and we know what's coming. There's got to be a reaction, Kendra. Well, and there's there's definitely a reaction that comes from it. We see Harley move forward with blind rage, um, no plan, no worries, no cares, just rage towards this tower um, of of Joker. And we get to see Dr. Psycho kind of stop her and be like, so do we have a plan before we run in? And Seth, you brought it up earlier how the team had just recently, you know, come together as a a united force to help Ivy. And Harley was kind of to the wayside due to her being a little bit of a traitor, just a little bit, a smidge, a skosh. But as we, we move forward just a little bit, She's, she has this lovely little ground to stand on by saying, you know, Ivy was always the person who stood up for me. She was always the one there who believed in me. And she would want me to take this asshole down. And at that moment, I'm pretty sure all of us were cheering, yes, can we do it? Um, but that's where we get the first hints of Harley's spontaneous, ingenious plan to take down Joker. Brad, how did you feel about her plan to take him down? I, uh, I, I guess I was a bit skeptical, but, um, you know, I, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but uh, I was so close and I, I just love, that was probably one of my favorite Clayface moments of the entire season, even though it didn't turn out the best, but, um, I, I, I couldn't help but be amused by, Clayface's inability to to hold it in when uh, when it was his moment, but um, I, I think that teaming up with Batman was a pretty ingenious idea as well. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? 
Yeah, I, uh, I I always enjoy it when Harley teams up with Batman or Nightwing or anyone else in the Bat family, because it's always such a begrudging kind of relationship where they're like, I don't like you, but I dislike this person more. And usually that person's the Joker. And I, I feel as though it almost never goes according to plan. Even if Harley stays on target, even if Harley doesn't double cross, doesn't even if all of that is fine for Harley, there's always something that goes wrong. And, and Brad, like you were saying, in this case, what goes wrong is Clayface and his inability to not be a performer. I mean, he has, to, he has to let his inner star out and he has to do that all the time, even when everybody's lives are on the line and even when it is going to ruin everything that they've been working towards. He, he just has to feed his inner star. And I, I part of me really appreciates him for staying true to himself. And part of me, the first time I was watching it, was like, no, 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 no. Shut up, shut up, shut up. No. I, and, you know, it, it was a good plan. Harley made a good, solid plan. And I think we have to commend her for that because I, I, I can't help but thinking that it would have been Ivy who would have suggested, you know, there is one person we can go to in this situation. And it's it's nice to see Harley sort of pick up that kind of intuitive wisdom at this point. But, you know, I mean, the best laid plans of Harley and Ivy and mice and whatnot. Seth, what do you think? As long as they're not blind mice, right? Because those guys, <laughs> sturdy <Nope>. little fuckers. <laughs> uh, yeah, er- everything about, you know, the fact that the enemy, my enemy is my ally, uh, you work with who's going to help you get the job done, war makes strange bedfellows. There's a few we can toss around here. Uh, <laughs> but the crew walk to the tower. I had Joker reading Infinite Jest, which is a book about Alcoholics Anonymous. And just like you just had to sort of laugh like you're just looking at it because it's got a title that you think applies to you. But you're probably not reading it and probably you're just doing it because you've heard it makes you look serious and kind of sexy. Nice try, joke. Uh, but the team up with uh, with Batman is brilliant until we realize that Batman, who is Clayface, is failing his ability to hold his form during the Harley Clown Prince of Evil song, a song I wish I could repeat. I simply can't. And I'm going to go ahead and point some blame here at Batman, because while it's cool that he's got this distraction to let him glide in, I think he should have called bullshit and been like, yeah, Clayface ain't going to pull that off. <laughs> Are you going to sing? Is there any kind of performing? Do you remember what happened with Riddler? Because I got to feel like as soon as he started singing, everyone was like, oh, shit, this is Riddler all over again. Did you not just see what he did? Did anybody? <laughs> Part of me expected him to start interrupting her, you know, uh, conversation with Joker and be like, no, honey, you're doing this wrong. Let me deliver it for you. So all of that just seemed kind of rooted in failure. <laughs> And uh, as was pointed out by Brad, it almost got pulled off. And um, sadly, you know, even when you've got all that planning, a rocket launcher is not a guarantee to success. (laughs) And then there's the suffering that follows. Kendra, how about you? I love this this section of of the episode because you you get nothing but fuckery. I mean, Harley steps out onto the you know onto the rooftop with gordon and and batman and she's just like what the fuck's the point of having an elevator if it doesn't work 
And <laughs> I felt that. I was like, right? It's like, what's the point of carrying a cell phone that you're never going to answer? But poor Jim, because, you know, he's sitting there with, with Harley as she's talking to Batman about teaming up. And, you know, she's this desperate plea of, I need you. And he, he's like, I work alone. And Jim's like, well, what about me? Not now, Jim. <laughs> And I, it was just, it was beautifully done. Right? Poor Jim. Like, he just gets the, the short end all the time. But especially with the file when he went to go, because he thought he was going to be so helpful and get the Joker's file that GCPD had on him. And all that was left was a surfing, surfing musical Joker. <laughs> but you guys are absolutely right with Clayface. Absolutely right. Like, how is this going to. Especially with the happy birthday song. How is this going to work? Like, of all the ones to pick. <laughs> I guess he could, like, physically, visually pull it off the best, but I, I, they should have had a blackboard and and a, a very stern nun with a ruler just drilling into his head the sentence, Batman does not sing. Except for that one episode of Justice League. But other than that, Batman does not sing. <laughs> That's if if he if maybe someone had just whacked him with a ruler a few times, I don't know. I'm That's, pretty sure I, I Cy had a, a, a like, blowtorch, right? Like Cy's yeah. gotta have a blowtorch in there or a what flamethrower? Yeah. Right? And right. and Clay's afraid of being baked. So you just threaten him like I'll bake you. You, you, you do it, I'll make you stay frozen, you son of a bitch. Don't you dare sing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> well, and then there's the approach. As, as Harley and the gang are coming up to the tower and, you know, she's getting him to talk. And her voice, she's just like, I hate you so much. And we get to see the real Harley, but it switches. Almost like someone who's worked in retail or customer service. Something where you're face-to-face or directly speaking with consumers. She gets that voice, that that pitch where it changes a couple. Like, well, thank you for calling. No, it, it's it's beautiful that we get to see her be like, oh, well, you know, I want to be on the winning side. And you've already proven that you can be. So here I am. But I still fucking hate your guts. But as you guys have said... Oh, sorry, Kelly, go. Oh, no, I just, I, I love that Joker doesn't, he clearly doesn't think about Harley that hard or didn't get to know her that well because he just accepts this right off the bat. He, there's, he doesn't suspect a thing, which is like, wow, this man is so full of himself that after everything that's happened, he really thinks that she's just like, yeah, well, I'm back. Hi. That's, uh, he's, he's a dick. He's a, a, a dick with a capital D. And and whatever other letters are insulting. But anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you guys have said, the, the plan obviously and sadly didn't work. Um, Clayface kind of screws the pooch. And Batman gets found out. Joker apparently was ready with a bubble uh, to save himself from the gas that was going to pour in. So, I mean, at least if anything can be said of the man, he's he's like a Boy Scout. He's prepared. I mean, he was he was ready for any eventuality, but Harley unfortunately loses the entirety of her crew in one fell swoop, as well as the only man who who possibly would have stood a chance to help her out against Joker. And like we said, you know, the flame, the the rocket launcher didn't really work. So leading into 
what comes next is this beautiful montage that's drawn straight out of the 80s um, where we see Joker, the headlines are, you know, Joker's the new king of Gotham. You know, Harley is is basically having to hide because there are wanted posters for her. Where were you guys at during that point in the episode, Brad? Uh you know, I felt bad for King Shark getting his teeth removed. That seemed completely terrible. But oh, I was wow. kind of like, ha on Dr. Psycho being forced to watch feminist videos, Clockwork Orange style. I thought that was <laughs> genius and absolutely well-deserved. So I think those two were both the ones that stuck out to me in that whole montage uh, <laughs> the most. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I love the montage. I did cringe when King Shark getting his teeth pulled out because that just, like, the, that's just terrible. I mean, I feel like he got the short end of the stick in that because all Psycho had to do was watch some videos. And sure, they don't line up with his shitty political ideology, but, I mean, it, it, that's, uh, turn turn on the TV. We all do that all day. What's the, like, <laughs> but, I mean... <laughs> It's it's funny to see that Joker had these like kind of set plans for how he was going to individually torture each of the members of Harley's crew. Um, and yeah, just it's so Joker. But there's a little part of me that's still like he's still just the shitty frat guy through this whole show, even when he's being very Joker-esque in his torture methods. I just also he had that that chair, that eye contraption, just ready to go, that baffles me. I don't know <laughs> who would order one of those, besides the Joker, I guess. But, like, I, I guess, yeah, he is a Boy Scout. He planned for every possible contingency. <laughs> so many great moments in this montage. And, yeah, like, right out of an 80s movie, right, Kendra? Like, as soon as it was going, I was thinking to myself, so was Tuesdays Gone just too expensive to get for... Um, <laughs> the background music to this either thing. that or give us we're gonna need a montage from team america i would have been said either way <laughs> yeah just with like that long wah, wah, guitar thing going in the background sadly playing uh the headline new joker or new king of gotham is joker uh the smiley riot squad poor king shark that was that was rough the 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 psycho one felt totally justified. In fact, I was like, thank God for Clockwork Orange. I mean, I don't know where you order that chair. It's probably like something out of seven. You just show the picture of the creepy guy who makes stuff and he makes the creepy stuff. And, you know, I don't ask you questions. Uh, the, the one that killed me was fucking pushing side down an endless row of or casting <laughs> set of stairs and saying don't handicrap your pants like i was like oh fuck there's gonna be a lot of disability groups that are really gonna be pissed about that one ah guys you guys might be getting some hate mail i'm just saying you just go ahead and let you know Clayface on the potter's wheel was kind of beautiful in a twisted sort of ghost sense um <laughs> and then just the way the whole city's changed with like the tvs and jokers telling a joke and if you don't laugh the, the police show up with a gatling gun and gun you down or <laughs> or uh you know poor batman strung out as the cuckoo clock you know and i mean clearly uh there's a lot of just like twisted ideas that Joker either had planned like a Boy Scout 
or because he's so messed up and he's got, you know, bombs sewn into the brains of his henchmen. He's just like, build it. And if you screw up, I kill you and somebody builds it better. Like, we'll get there. Um, I don't know what the <laughs> process was. I mean, I, I like that he was so maniacal of it. He was like, yeah, I'm going to have a twisted torture method for when I do take them all down. Yeah. I mean, because that's pretty goddamn impressive. But o- overall, it was just this crazy mix of things that were so designed to just torture these guys. Just make them feel broken, weak, humiliated. And um, it feels like there's almost no end to it until we start to see a little crack in the facade when Joker has his um, 25th birthday. Bullshit. Kendra, how about you? (laughs) I'll agree with the bullshit on the play. But, I mean, Every one of the the tortures that these guys received, I mean, of, of all of them, the one that everybody seems to feel the least, the least guilty about is Dr. Psycho, which is so funny <laughs> because here he is at the beginning of the episode, you know, actually doing kind things and respecting Ivy and then for it to switch around and his torture to be watching these feminist rallies, it was delicious irony. It was beautiful. But... I think what comes next is probably one of my favorite moments of the entire series. So we'll move forward just a little bit. And after the montage, we get this scene where Joker is listless. He's not happy. Nothing is hitting the same way. He's got everything that he could want, including Batman tied up next to him so he can poke him with a, like a cow taser, a, a cattle prod. And it's still not delivering what he wants. And we actually get to see Scarecrow come back into play uh, for a moment. And it's one of those moments that, that for me, like I said, made the series. Because the one thing that has always been a question with fans was whether or not Joker knew who was under the cape and cowl. And in some continuities it is, in some it's not. But in this, <laughs> this canon... Scarecrow does us the favor of revealing Bruce Wayne. What did you guys think about the reveal? Brad? Uh, I think, um, first of all, I think the the boredom and listlessness that sets in with Joker is definitely on par with the character as we've seen in this show. I think that that was definitely something that would happen. He'd definitely get bored. Once you have everything, it's kind of like, what next? Uh, and um, the reveal, I kind of like what he said. It's like, you know, I, I would have done that if I wanted it. I, half of the fun was the mystery of it all. And he was really adamant about that because he ended up killing Scarecrow. So it's that mystery and that that tension was something that he took, that he took seriously. So... Um, and I can see why in his mind it's there is nothing bigger than the mythology of Batman and finding out who it is. It takes away part of that mystery and the grandiosity of the whole conflict. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, it's hilarious that I mean, one that Scarecrow thinks nothing of it. Scarecrow's just like, oh, let's see who this is and doesn't grasp what a huge deal that is to Joker like to Joker this is bigger than finding out Santa Claus isn't real or I mean to Joker this is like you 
destroyed his purpose in life. Um, and it, it's funny because I feel like that's a concept that was sort of later introduced to the to the Batman Joker saga. Because um, I can even remember in the Dark Knight series, Heath Ledger being like, you know, it's I'm chasing cars. I don't know what I would do if I if I caught it. And he's caught the car at this point and is not having fun with it right off the bat. He's bored. It's not fun to have Batman tied up. It's fun to chase Batman. And then on top of that, to now have that second layer of mystery, because I mean, I would assume maybe a couple layers down in Joker's head, he might have been planning to somehow release Batman or make it possible for Batman to escape disappear into the night and then he still has the mystery he still has the fun and now it's this big chase to get Batman back and it's that like I almost had you kind of feel and Scarecrow took a shit on that (laughs) like Scarecrow genuinely (laughs) sucked out all of the fun and and doesn't even understand that he did it um and yeah, it's it makes sense that Joker reacts this way. It sucks for Scarecrow, but I think part of that is him underestimating just how crazy Joker is. Because um, on some level, I guess the members of the League of the Legion of Doom have to just believe that all Joker wants is to torture, capture, and eventually kill Batman. He just wants to ruin Batman's life and move on into ruling the world. And this is the first scene I think in this show where we see that no that wasn't his plan at all he doesn't want to necessarily rule the world he wants to make things difficult for Batman he wants to have fun with that kind of cat and mouse game and now it's over as far as he's concerned he has seen the face of Batman and it has ruined him Seth what did you think (laughs) he saw the face he was ruined um (laughs) I think that's a powerful statement. <laughs> I, I love that the catalyst for all this is the fact that Joker's not getting what he wants right from the get-go. He seems to have it all. He's, he appears to be having fun torturing the crew, but when it comes to enjoying himself, he's not. And that's because he's trying to compare it with the times that he used to celebrate with Harley, including eating sushi off of Jim Gordon's naked body. And a reminder that that meant picking hair out of their teeth for weeks, right? Like, I mean, come on, you know, that that for me was like a reference to a really bad uh, Dolph Lundgren, Brandon Lee movie called Showdown in Little Tokyo. Um, And that was just really taking me back for a minute. So anybody else who's looking for a deep cut on Brandon Lee, Dolph Lundgren, go ahead. Uh, It's not a quality movie. It's quite terrible, actually. But the image, like I was just like, wow. And I love that he says, what's wrong with me? Well, you're a sociopathic narcissist. He's like, oh, that's what Harley said. Okay, well, but but it's Scarecrow who's trying to, like, fill the void. Like, oh, you know, take the mask off. And his reaction, it's billionaire Bruce Wayne. It's not It's not Bruce Wayne. It's billionaire Bruce Wayne. <laughs> like, there's something about the title that goes with it. And there's something apropos about how, you know, Kelly just described, like, he basically takes his shit on it. And then he's like, oh. Well, look what I shit on. It's 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 not just this. It's title <laughs> billionaire Bruce Lee, <laughs> and, and the fact that you know Joker's so pissed that he knows because billionaire Bruce Wayne is boring. It takes the mystery out, or as he describes it, now I know he's just a boring rich asshole with parent issues. <laughs> 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 to which Pat 
Batman gets defensive. And he's like, that's really reductive. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I, I, I love that as soon as that we had that happen, I was just thinking to myself, like, okay, so the real problem is Joker wants the thing that completes these experiences he has. And completing that is celebrating with Harley. He can't do that. Scarecrow can't fill the role and points out that that's exactly what he's trying to do. And then for all of his efforts gets melted by acid. And that's the end of Scarecrow. But now that it's ruined, he doesn't feel like torturing him anymore. He's, you know, essentially lost all interest in his toy, kind of like maybe a cat with a French fry or a chicken nugget or uh, perhaps just with a mouse. (laughs) (laughs) And keeping all that in mind. You know, you're like, oh, wow. Well, if there's no more fun in it, you know, chasing the cars caught it. You know, I made you, you made me uh, and we need each other. That now that 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 moment's ruined, we get this chance now because with the crack in the facade, Joker's plan is all sort of skewed. You know, it's it's like it's like the white sateen jacket that gets the ink splotch or the dirt smudge. It was perfect. But once it's not perfect anymore, all the sort of status that goes with it, all the expectation and suddenly like the perfect world starts to like feel like a prison, like he's going to start casting about. And it's 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 that first hint, you know, like a snowball at the top of a giant hill. And you're like, that's going to get bigger, maybe even have an avalanche. Shit's about to get crazy. So I, I loved all of that. Like, here we go, Kendra. See, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I mean, now that the mystery's gone and Joker has to, you know, be like, oh, well, okay, it's it's boring. Bruce Wayne did go ahead and add another title to it. I mean, he he actually addresses him <laughs> as a consumer, which becomes another favorite in this episode. Because he's like, Wayne Tech was supposed to have an electric car this year. I put my deposit down. Where's my goddamn car, Bruce? <laughs> that was such a great moment. <laughs> Here's my goddamn electric car. Bruce, I was too. Like, oh, he just so immediately was like, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah, at, at that point, I felt like Bruce's name was Dick. Like, well, Dick, where's my car? <laughs> <laughs> also, the Joker put a deposit down. Isn't that kind of following the rules for him? Why wouldn't he just steal one? <laughs> I love that he's I mean, the trend, right? Like, he's like, I got to get in on this. Everybody else is getting in. I got to put a pot down, man. I can't not have an electric car. I got, I'm the Joker. Who <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am. <laughs> I, that one, this, this one line for me at least solidified Alan Tudyk as Joker. Because it was the emphasis that he put on, on the goddamn car. Was absolutely awesome. I mean, I just sat there and I was like, I can't hate someone who's able to bring that amount of humor in one line when I'm supposed to hate this guy. Like, ugh, Alan. But after we get that moment, we we get to go back to see Harley. And she's visiting the grave of, of her friend. And we see that Frank and Kite Man have set up camp at the gravesite of Ivy. Um, and, you know, there's there's this moment with with them between Harley and, and Kite Man. And where, do, where did you guys find yourselves on that one? Because for me, 
it was just sad seeing Kite Man living in a tent by heart, by Ivy's grave. What about you, Brad? It shows the importance of of Ivy being the glue that holds everybody together. And these are two characters that, beyond a stretch, any stretch of the imagination, relied on on Ivy to keep them alive, basically. Kite Man's nothing without his relationship with Ivy. And Frank would literally die if nobody wanted him. And he obviously doesn't trust those other assholes. So what choice does he have but to stay right by her grave hoping that somebody will come along and, and water his roots? But, um, yeah, I think that it's very fitting that those two characters in particular were the ones that were stuck living by her grave because she was all they had. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, that's it. It's sad to think of that in the sense that she is all that they had. Um, and I think it's for, I mean, Frank's a plant, so it's kind of, you know, what what do they have? But in the sense of Kite Man, it's depressing because we know that he has a home, he has a roommate, he has parents who are, are dicks, but we'll get to that eventually. Um, and Ivy is the thing that his entire universe seems to circle around. And that's not necessarily the case when he meets her, but it's it's genuinely one of those love stories where he meets her and his entire life changes and now she's gone and he doesn't know how to move on from that. Um, and it definitely shows a difference in his head space compared to Harley. I, I, I love the way this episode plays out. I love the way kite man's written but i also think it would have been really interesting to see kite man take like a dark twist because he's that upset by ivy's death um i i would love to see angry dark kite man not permanently but even for just one episode that would be really really interesting so yeah it's it's sad it's heartbreaking poor frank i hope finds you know i mean he he is a pot guy so he can probably find a water guy in there somewhere, but yeah, just a, a sad, heartbreaking scene. What do you think, Seth? <laughs> he does have a pot guy. I mean, you got to keep that in mind with Frank. Uh, <laughs> about this scene, I mean, um, I, I love that Harley, you know, is like, yeah, they say black roses don't occur in nature, but I needed to give it a little something me when I'm talking to you. And then discovers Kite Man, who says he wouldn't really describe what he's doing behind the uh, tombstone as living. And that Frank's there, the poor guy, who's an indoor plant and needs indirect light, which just sounds like all sorts of suffering. But it points the camera to somebody who hasn't been on the screen as much since the funeral. We know what happened to Harley and the crew. They got taken. They've been tortured. But... Clearly, for Frank and Kiteman, they're suffering in a completely different way. Uh, they're they're both dealing with this huge sense of loss. I mean, you know, I worst thing in the world for me, and this is where I'm just going to get sad, but is the idea of something happening to me and someone not being able to take care of my dogs when I'm gone. Like, it's a heartbreaking idea, and I never want it to happen. So I can't imagine what that relationship's like, you know, for the one who's being taken care of to not suddenly have that person there. And Frank, you know, Ivy was his whole world. And we see that it's Kite Man too, you know, that as Kelly was pointing out, you know, as Brad was pointing out, we get to see just how sad it is for them, how 
before this. Kite Man was kind of just a bro. And Ivy made him want to be a better guy. And without her, he's completely lost. Now, a red kryptonite version of uh, Kite Man would be pretty fucking awesome. And I would love to see that. I don't know what the access point would be. Maybe it's like some new cooler kite design and he, he suddenly goes bad or some sort of, you know, he gets venom. I don't know. However, we end up going with it. Kelly, you need to write to D.C. and let them know about it. We'll, we'll all do it as a group pitch. I don't care. But uh, the, there's the fact that we, we finally get to see that you don't have to be physically tortured for this to be heart wrenching. If this is the person you loved and they're gone or the person who took care of you and you loved. Uh, and for all those reasons, this scene is poignant. And then, of course, it's expository because it's Kite Man who explains, what does he want? Well, he wants to torture you and your crew. He's going to do it later. There's going to be an 80s party. And we shift right into a great scene about that. And I don't want to steal all those lines away. So, Kendra, passing the mic. Yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll lead right into that because you're right. This is leading up to two of the big moments for the finale. Um, so, Kite Man obviously does show Harley the 80s, the 80s flyer and how... Uh, Joker has proclaimed that he's going to kill the crew um, that night in an 80s themed, whether that's going to be a slasher flick, whether it's going to be a disco dance, who knows? I mean, it could be anything. But Harley kind of sets her resolve and, you know, makes up her mind to move forward, um, pushing herself to the front, knowing that that's what Joker wants in the, his end game. And all of this is he wants her. Um, so she shows up at his door and is completely encased in, in bomb saying, you know what? I know what you really want. And if you don't let them go or let me in and we can discuss this, I'm gone. I'll go ahead and push the button. Um, there's a huge ultimatum that comes up, but I, I would love to stop and pause here and, and hear your guys' reactions to Harley's response to the party. And like you said, Seth, there's plenty of lines that, that feature in this that are, that are absolutely beautiful. So Brad, I'll go ahead and let you start. Yeah. I, I loved, I think it was Frank who said I wanted to go as thriller, but I didn't want to be the third thriller in line for the chip dip, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I love that. I love that line. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, I think in a lot of ways, this, this confrontation, uh, between Harley and the Joker is what the whole, uh, the whole season has been leading up to. And it comes back to that brilliant writing that the show has. And you don't see very many cartoons with arcs like this, um, for the most part, most cartoons are a one episode thing. And the fact that they were able to build this arc over these episodes is uh, in this cartoon is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And it is, it is hardly coming to realize that she is the source of power. She just had to realize it within herself because everybody else, even Joker, even though he wouldn't admit it, necessarily want to admit it. She was what he wanted the entire time. Um, so I thought that the, the, the moments with the costumes was was uh, a brilliant example of of Harley coming into her own, and and in certain ways sacrificing for her friends. When earlier in the season she was being selfish, she wanted to join the Legion of Doom. Um, I think this is definitely a moment where she's redeemed herself in their eyes. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? 
Yeah, it is. It is a really beautiful moment of of sacrifice, like you were saying, Brad, because she does show this tendency to charge in headfirst and not necessarily think about how it's going to affect her crew or affect other people. And in this case, she's doing the exact opposite of what we've seen her do in every other episode. And I do really appreciate as funny as the show is and as full of kind of cheeky DC Universe references that we see the most important thing to remember is that the relationship between Harley and the Joker is a toxic, abusive relationship. And Joker's endgame here ties into that so flawlessly. The fact that he he doesn't want her back because he's learned his lesson and he's going to be a better boyfriend. He doesn't want her back because he's learned how to treat her properly. He he wants her back because she, in his mind, is his. There there's no satisfaction if he can't have the toy he wants and that toy at this point in time especially now that Bruce Wayne's been been revealed is Harley um and Harley's smart enough to realize that and to realize I I mean she's a psychiatrist so his psyche sort of his MO as the type of boyfriend he was as the type of villain he is he's not going to let it go until he has that toy that he lost even if it's a toy that he's going to throw right back into the dumpster it's his toy to throw into the dumpster and it, it's interesting to see that play out throughout the show because again it is really really funny but there's these underlying kind of serious and emotional moments and I think this is definitely one of them that Harley is at this time returning to him not in the way that she returned um you know, with that that terrible helicopter kiss and that date, that was her falling for it. Not coming back as, you know, we're going to pull the wool over our eyes and attack you. But this is her saying, OK, this is the thing that I never wanted to be again, but I'll be it if it means I can save my friends. Um, and, and that's such a big moment for her coming out of the sort of situation that she's been in. Um, and yeah, it just it shows a real intelligence on on the part of the writers to be able to play out the entirety or not necessarily the entirety but a very wide picture of what it is to be in a toxic or an abusive relationship and sort of hit all of those hallmarks of the denial and the coming back even though you know you shouldn't and then for once you leave for the other person to almost turn around and say, no, you are the most important thing in the world to me. And again, not necessarily because they value you, but because they value the fact that you were theirs. Um, so yeah, it's it, this to me was almost a more heartbreaking scene than Ivy's funeral because it's Harley having to accept that I might not make it out of this, but if if I have to play this role to save my friends, I will do it, even though it almost kills me every time. Seth, what'd you think? It's is a really powerful scene and the ultimatum that's that's laid down. Um, it, you almost wonder if there's some sort of foreknowledge of Harley, because right before she leaves, there's the, the heartache in her that sheds those tears when she's leaving Ivy before she goes off to face her twisted, toxic ex. And. Seeing this scene, you just have to wonder. She knows enough about him to kind of have an idea of just how bad he can get and what, you know, horrors lay in front of her. 
that that feeling of I'm leaving behind who I love because I'm going to go try and stop this terrible thing. And she's all in. I mean, from the moment she gets there and I realized I had made my infinite jest reference a bit early. Um, this is when he's actually reading the book and my brain decided to swap those, which was adorable of me. Um, and you don't have to point that out. I'm clearly aware of it on my own. Um, <laughs> but I love that she goes there with a, a plan of like, I've got a bomb. You're going to listen to me. And she gets inside. And there's some great references along the way, whether it's Penthouse of Horny Tigers or just the transition right to here's the ultimatum. You either put on the old costume or I kill the crew. And they're there mounted on the walls looking really pathetic. Of course, King Shark looks the worst because his face all puffy and we know his teeth are gone because Joker's wearing them as a necklace, which was just a lovely touch I forgot to reference. Um, and I love the fact that She's like, what do you want? And he's like, I've got the city by the balls, but I'm not happy. Well, that's because you're a textbook, psycho, uh, you know, sociopathic uh, narcissist. Well, that's what Batman said. Like, uh, <laughs> a lot of people are telling you the same thing. Where do you see the problem? Um, and then I love that she's still got fight in her. She's willing to make the sacrifice, but that doesn't mean she's giving up. And I, I love it when there's a character who's willing to show you, hey, Sometimes you got to extend the game long enough to get your opportunity. And sometimes that means a little or in this case, a lot of humiliation. But do the humiliating thing. Get your friends free. And then you have an opportunity to strike like any great hero, anti-hero or just person seeking vengeance does. Just give me an opportunity Put a knife in my fucking hand and let me near that person's throat, abdomen or other, you know, vulnerable appendage. And uh, something's going to happen. Kendra, how about you? For me, I got to agree with all of you. I mean, this was this was a heavy, heavy, heavy moment. I mean. Comic fans of Harley and, you know, from the introduction of Harley in Batman the Animated Series have watched as her character has grown. And it on and off again, it was always an abusive relationship in which all it took was a little bit of kindness in order for her to come back. And we even see that at the beginning of this season, like Kelly referenced with, with the, you know, all, all it took was just a little bit of his kindness and acknowledging her and it was immediately right back. And the, the writers have kind of given fans the moment in this episode where Harley truly and ultimately understands her worth. And like, like Kelly said, I mean, this was, this was a heartbreaking moment. It was more, you know, it was, I'm trying to find the right word for it. It was much more impactful than I think even Ivy's death was because it took Ivy dying for Harley to finally be like, you know what, what else is there for me to live for if I'm not willing to see what these people see in me and, and, you know, go forward with that ideal and prove to them that I deserve not only that respect from them, their support, but also that I deserve, I deserve better than what I've been getting all of these years. And when he handed her that costume, my jaw, my jaw dropped because the writers were perfect in their their way of saying you know 
he never saw her as an equal. And in fact, it only made him more frustrated the more that Harley separated herself and the more that she solidified herself as her own person, her own anti-villain or, you know, what, whatever, whatever moniker you want to give her anti-hero hero. I mean, and all he wanted to do was to break that down and break her down to her core. And in this moment we get to see that he no longer has that power. Like, yes, she, she does don the suit, but like you said, Seth, that was only to prove to the crew that she, she cared that they weren't expendable to her any longer. She wanted to do that, knowing that it full well might kill her. And for Joker, the whole point of it was just to degrade her and demean her down to back when she listened and fell on every word that he said. And it was a very, very beautiful moment. Even, even when most of the crew was saying, no, don't do it. It's okay. We're fine. Don't do it. We're good with dying. And then you've got Dr. Psycho... He was just like, no, I don't want to go back in the chair and do it. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can, you can put the costume on. I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> right? Just like, okay. It's really that bad for him? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm a tiny little shithead. Like clearly, I have no fucking morals. So yeah, you can demean yourself if it gets me free, because clearly right. I have no standards, and you know. <laughs> Are you sure? You've got no teeth. My God. <laughs> okay, yeah. Can we? <laughs> just like, they'll grow back. They'll grow back. Everybody will be fine. But I can't go back in the chair. But, I mean, so moving moving a little bit forward, we get to see, finally, the, the crew is released. Every It's just Harley and Joker, which, like all of you have said, is, is really where this series was looping back around to, this final confrontation. Um, Brad, what did you think about the fight that ensued between Harley and Joker? Uh, I, I, I didn't think there was any way that Joker was not going to end up in that bed of acid one way or another. And, uh, it was, a a good fitting send off to the character for the season, at least for that, that moment. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah. I, I want to know what kind of acid that is because it's, it's not so much corrosive acid and it's it's not you know fun acid it's i i guess personality deteriorating turning you normal acid and i like that they both kind of have this understanding that whoever goes in that that is going to come out a completely different person and i like the idea that this is harley physically and openly fighting for who she is and who she's become because if she goes in that vat she will not be the person that she's worked to be anymore um and i'm i'm glad joker's the one that goes over because well where we've seen harley develop we've seen her go from dr quinzel to harley quinn the sidekick to harley quinn the uh what is it nuisance or what what was she upgraded to um scourge i believe (laughs) harley quinn the scourge but she's put so much effort into developing herself and i i can't think of a worse fate for somebody who's come so far than to be dumped back into a vat that's going to somehow regress all of that progress and all of that change um and the joker as far as we know, at least in continuity, we don't have a real backstory for him. We don't know how he's progressed. We don't know what's gone into making him who he is. All we know is that who he is is an asshole. 
And I mean, I, I really do enjoy that this is one of the ways they chose to wrap up season one, because we know what would have happened to Harley had she gone into the vat, but we don't know right now what's going to happen to the Joker. Um, yeah, it's it's a great fight, and it is a really solid way to kind of kick off the, the end events of all of this. Seth? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this whole scene, I mean, the fight... The knife fight, you sort of knew, like, there's no way that that Harley's going to let this go down um, (laughs) in any way except with that guy in the acid. But I love the fact that we introduced the acid because Joker doesn't want to be a basic bitch, as he calls it, and uh, (laughs) and just kill her. He wants to erase her from existence using the acid, which is going to be his downfall. Um, And the fact that she recognizes the ivy that's growing around. And says, hey, let me let me take this jump. I got this. And then when she does, Joker walks away and he's like, wait, did anybody hear Splash? Hmm. This isn't going well. Followed by, oh, fuck. <laughs> I should have harpooned you in the heart. You know, or sorry, the head. One in the head, one in the heart. That's 101, which I thought was just a, <laughs> a great line. Um, and I love that we get this beautiful reunion with Ivy and Harley. Which is tinged with a little bit of reality because she's like, my tears brought you back. And she's like, "Uh, no, we don't live in a fairy tale world. Um, This was the renewing powers of nature. And then when she looks a little heartbroken, Ivy's like, well, you know, in tears, tears too. But the resolution is also marred by the fact that everything else around them is going to shit. Uh, (laughs) Joker is blown up the tower. Batman saves them both. But, you know, everything else we see, Wayne Tower. Riddler Sphinx, like all of these things in Gotham are just falling apart. And we're left with this crazy <laughs> scenario of the crew on the roof overseeing everything and sort of like, wow, so what now? And that's what we're left with heading into season two. Kendra? Exactly. I mean, you guys, you guys summed it up beautifully. I mean, we have a wonderful night fight where we get to see Harley standing her ground leading into finding out that Ivy is alive and gets the joy of finally being able to just toss Joker in a vat of, I'm going to call it dip. I can't do the voice from (laughs) Roger Rabbit, but we're going to call it dip. (laughs) Melting. (laughs) What a world, what a world. But, I mean, we, we get this beautiful moment of, of Ivy just finally, like, seeing Harley coming full circle. Like, maybe not entirely full circle, as we find out in the next season. But on this big core, she has changed. And that is something that is huge for her. Um, like you said, Seth, we get to see Joker setting off the bomb because that is the final joke. And Batman swinging in to, to help Harley and Ivy, who basically just leave him because polymer suit. <laughs> It'll be fine. Polymer suit. <laughs> I love that Ivy knows that. Yeah, you know, he's got the, the you know, the polymer suit. It'll be fine, huh? <laughs> but like you said, we, we get a closing on Gotham being completely devastated. And everything is obviously going to have to change because everything's in ruins. So let's go ahead and we'll do final thoughts. Brad, what about you? 
Uh, yeah, I, I like I mentioned before, um, I, I think the thing that struck me about this episode um, was just how it brought everything full circle and how it turned out to be this kind of great. Well, I shouldn't say full circle, but almost like an opposite of where Harley was at the beginning, uh, her really coming into to her own um, you, in a cartoon. You don't normally get that kind of growth, but it was but this show show had it and uh, it was just amazing to watch over the course of the season. And uh, and I didn't mention it before, but I really did also enjoy uh, Ivy's return. Um, it was at a very kind of perfect moment, and it was just dramatic enough to work very well. Uh, but yeah, overall, just this, uh, it, it it brought the um, it brought the season to a very satisfying close. I think. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? I I love this closing, and I think for me, what it cemented because I I kind of forget that Harley Quinn's a villain. There's a little part of me, especially throughout the course of the show where she's talking about the lines that she won't cross with Queen of Fables and she's doing things that are not necessarily bad, but she has become a nuisance and a scourge. Um, but the fact that, you know, we're watching Gotham crumble and we're kind of looking at it through that Batman lens of, oh my God, it's, this is it, Gotham city is in shambles. Things are the worst they've ever been. This is terrible. And Harley does not, Feel that way. That is, it, to to me, this was a huge reminder that Harley Quinn is a villain. She may not have wanted to, you know, decimate an entire family reunion and watch people get eaten alive by blind mice, but she was in it for the chaos to an extent. So I, I mean, I love this ending, and I love that it it does bring us back to you know we start out with Harley trying really hard to. Um, you know, top the Joker's face tearing off antics on that yacht and then come back to, you know, sure, she seemed like she was a good person throughout the show, but this is still a supervillain. Seth, what'd you think? I thought there was something absolutely uh, just adorable about the fact that now she's got what she's wants. I mean, yeah, she didn't want to cause the death of the family reunion. She didn't want all those other things to happen. But at the same time, she did hate Joker, want to take him down. And there were some parts of Gotham that she wanted to knock out along the way with becoming like the biggest, baddest villain. And first it was to impress and beat Joker. Then it was about the Legion of Doom. And then it was just about like, well, this is kind of what I want. Um, and Gotham in an 8.6 earthquake isn't ideal, but... At the same time, she's also freed her friends. Uh, of course, Psycho says he never doubted it, but King Shark really didn't feel the same way. <laughs> Clearly, after losing teeth, he had fallen into a bit of a pessimistic stroke. Um, and, and we're presented with that, that kind of same question that Joker had to deal with, because he got everything he wanted, but what he wanted was Harley. Well, Harley's about to have this thing that she thinks she wants, which is the destruction of Gotham. But season two is going to maybe reveal that, you know, getting what you want and keeping it that way or doing what you want with it when you get it. Those are different scenarios. And I, I love the fact that for this moment, we've got the closure. Joker appears to be... <clears throat> 
mostly dead, except for that eerie hand that pops up, um, which is also now flesh-toned, and that's just some fun to consider. And then also we've got this, like, moment where I'm reminded of the end of Fight Club. <laughs> you know, there's there's poor Mr. Norton with his head blown out, standing, looking over as Chicago and all of the credit card institution banks are falling and crumbling away, and that same sense of, like, it's so beautiful. And yet, what does tomorrow bring? Because all that destruction, you know, it, it's it's going to have ripple effects, kind of like aftershocks of an earthquake. So curious, you know, just to think about all the potential this could be going and, and what it means for a team now that has this weird sense of freedom, albeit in a, you know, ruined landscape. Kendra, how about you, Finals? I mean, I'm... I'm... I hear all of you and I'm in full agreement. I mean, this sets up beautifully to what could possibly happen next. I mean, Gotham is completely in shambles. Joker is alive, but in what regard? Batman is, is, you know, hopefully alive at this point. And the crew just gets to sit there and, and look out over the city. And we as viewers are just left to, to wonder what's next. And I know that all of us here for the, the Mad Love Harley Quinn cast will be happy to, to further discuss that when we get there. But for the final joke, I, I don't think that I've seen such a heartfelt and absolutely heartbreaking episode since Avatar The Last Airbender. I mean, there, there really hasn't been a cartoon show in that aspect animation-wise that's really caught, caught the feels. Um, so, I mean, I guess those are, those are all of our final thoughts on, on the, uh, the Harley Quinn season one. And this was the finale episode, the final joke. So I guess we'll move forward with where everyone can, can find you guys. So Brad, where can, where can the good people find you? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews, uh, DC Comics News. Uh, you can find me on the uh, regular DC Comics News podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And Kelly? You can find me doing opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News. You can also find me on the main DC Comics News podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at KelGainsWrite. You can find me here with these fine folks whenever we do resume season two of Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, because it's happening. So it's just going to be stated here and now by this guy for definite. Uh, you can find me when I'm not here swearing my head off with a bit more civil and professional tone when we had the DC and uh, weekly podcast covering all your favorite news and stuff. Um, you can catch me hosting the Spinner Rack. You can find me on Twitter as one more singleton on Instagram as set the writer. And you can find my dogs at Bruno and Fiji because they're a lot cuter than I am. And I'm okay with that. Kendra, where can the good people find you? Oh, and DC Comics News. I write stuff there too. I sometimes forget to say that. <laughs> I'm just really adorable in that way. It's, yeah, dumber than a box of hair sometimes. I swear to God. What the fuck? <laughs> Kendra, you're up. <laughs> I had to catch my giggle. I'm sorry. <laughs> I threw him really fast, so, you know, <laughs> it wasn't easy to catch. <laughs> I've been your host, Kendra Hale, and I can be found writing 
editorial and reviews for Dark Knight News. Um, I write pretty much whatever the hell calls to me for Fantastic Universes. I get to sit here each week with these wonderfully talented voices on the Mad Love Carly Quinn cast, as well as the DC and News, uh, News podcast. And I can be found on Twitter at Devour All Words. When it comes to our podcasts, whether it be this one with Mad Love Harley Quinn cast, uh, I Am the Knight, the Spinner Rack, or the DC Comics News podcast, those can be found on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen um, to your podcast, basically. And when it comes to our social medias for Dark Knight News and for DC Comics News, you can find those on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and even YouTube. Um, we'll go ahead and we'll sign off in our normal way. Read more fucking comics. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> can't say that on the other shows. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> Thank I'll you take guys it, so much for joining. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one.